Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I want to give a quick editor's note here um, at the beginning of this episode. So originally, when Gene and I recorded this, we intended for it to be just one episode. But of course, uh, as is almost always the case with us, we talked for a very long time, and we talked about both the Vols and Lady Vols basketball rosters as a, as a roster review. And ended up recording basically long enough to be two episodes. We got done with it and realized we had talked for probably about an hour and 45 minutes worth of actual content. And that was, you know, of the entire episode. We we usually kind of talk and do pre-show stuff beforehand for about 10, 20 minutes. Um, But even with that time subtracted off our Skype call, we realized, wow, this is a very long one episode. So I was like, maybe we should uh, cut this down to two. And I think I, I mentioned that at the very end of the quote-unquote episode so you'll hear that in the second episode but i wanted to cut these in half uh, and make these two episodes so this first episode you'll be hearing should be going up sometime on wednesday september 22nd it is about the men's basketball roster a roster review for the men's basketball team and the second one that will be going up on thursday september 23rd will be about the lady vols so this is the first episode where gene and i break down the men's basketball roster Uh, with the roster review looking at what will happen in the offseason and looking at kind of the roster and what it looks like right now heading into the 2021-2022 season. You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford. I'm joined again by Gene Henley, and we're here for another brand new episode of the show. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time, we really, really appreciate it. Subscribe to the show today. Share it with a friend. Follow us on social media. This is not your first time. Welcome back. Glad to have you back here. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. We're there. Subscribe to the show today if you aren't already. Leave us a review on Apple. I don't think I've asked for that at the top of the show for a while, but if you were subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Also, leave us a little written review. We'd, we'd appreciate that. And, and if you leave a written review, we'll read it here on the show, too, and give you a shout-out. Uh, if you're, you're using a name on Apple Podcasts, so leave us a five-star review and leave us a written review. We'd really appreciate that and it would help this show out a lot as well. You can follow us on social media. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Well, Gene, since we last talked, we haven't had really any news to discuss for either the Vols or Lady Vols. We talked about recruiting. We talked about, oh uh, gosh, what else did we talked about? Oh, yeah, Tennessee, the men's team being a preseason top 10 team by... Uh, by one publication and kind of went into depth about whether or not that we think Tennessee is getting overrated there or not. But this podcast, this episode is going to be looking back and looking, I guess technically kind of ahead, but also looking at the present in a roster review format for both the men's and women's team. We'll start with the men's team and, and look at, you know, the departures from last year, the additions to this year, both on the, the roster itself and on the coaching staff. And then we'll do the same for the Lady Vols as well. Gene, it was a very busy off season for the men's team. In fact, I mean, that was, that kept us, you and I very busy on the podcast talking about 
lots of different activities, lots of different departures, additions, the, the just kind of the roster reconstruction that happened this offseason when you, you know, lost two guys to the draft, a, another one at Eve Ponds to, you know, going into the NBA as a senior, then multiple transfers. You brought in a transfer, you signed a bunch of guys uh, as, as freshmen coming up high school, even had a couple coaching departures. Uh, this was one of the most, I guess, active off seasons I can remember for the men's team in a very long time, probably since without, especially without there being a coaching change. Cause I'd say probably since the time when Bruce Pearl was fired and Donnie Tindall was hired was the last time I can think of, or excuse me, Conzo Martin was hired was the last time that this much roster turnover turnover happened. Maybe even when Conzo was, when he moved on and then you had um, Donnie Tindall be hired, like there was transition there too. But even with all that, like, I don't know that even those off seasons are a match to what this off season was for Tennessee. And again, without there being a head coaching change too, that that Rick Barnes, you know, stayed in Knoxville. It wasn't like he left. He's entering his seventh season. Which, by the way, we are as recording this, we're seven weeks away for the men's team playing. And by the time you're all listening to this, more than likely, we're seven weeks away from the Lee Vols starting the regular season. So we're only seven weeks away from basketball returning to Knoxville, which is very very exciting. But let's get back here to the roster review. Let's look at who left Tennessee, who is no longer on the roster from last season. It's going to be quite a few people, so buckle in. You have Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, Eve Pons, E.J. Anisicki, Devontae Gaines, and Drew Pember, and Corey Walker Jr. All gone from last year's team. Obviously, Corey Walker didn't really play much, or didn't play at all, excuse me. And Drew Pember and Gaines didn't really play a whole lot either. Anisiki played more in the beginning of the year. His playing time trailed off. Pons, obviously a defensive stalwart for Tennessee, was a starter. And then Springer and Keon were your leading scorers for Tennessee last year as true freshmen, with Victor Bailey being right behind them at almost 11 points per game. So those are all the departures on the roster. On the coaching staff, you had uh, two assistant coaching changes. Rick Barnes, again, obviously he stayed uh, from last year as the head coach, but on the assistant side, you had Desmond Oliver and Kim English both taking head coaching jobs. Uh, I, think, I think, yeah, both did. I know, I know obviously Kim English did. I think Des also did too. Yeah, he did. Um, so both those guys left. Michael Schwartz was the only one left uh, from that main assistant coaching staff from last season. All the additions now, Gene. This is going to be, again, buckle in because it's going to be a long list of names here for the additions for Tennessee basketball uh, for this upcoming season. I'm going to go in order of their jersey number here on Tennessee Sports roster on the website. Jonas Adu, Kennedy Chandler, Brendan Huntley Hatfield, Quentin DeBunge, Zakai Ziegler, Jemai Meshack, Justin Powell, and Hanjay Tamba are all of your additions to the roster for Tennessee. Obviously, Justin Powell being a transfer from Auburn. The rest were all signees out of high school. A couple of five, scar- five stars, excuse me, sprinkled in there. Technically three, depending on which service you're looking at, because the dude was a three star or five star on Rivals, on the Hatfield was a five star on Two More Seven, and of course Kennedy Chandler was a consensus five star. So those are all the additions to the roster that are new, from a, a coaching perspective to replace Des Oliver and Kim English. Rick Barnes went out and hired Justin Ganey and Rod Clark to his coaching staff at the University of Tennessee. Gene. All of that, we'll get to kind of a moment about the, the whole roster as a whole um, and, and kind of what we think about it. Is it a better roster than last year? 
Let's go kind of position by position first here. And we'll start with the backcourt. At point guard, you have... Ken I'm going to say, you know, some of these guys are obviously going to play multiple positions, but I'm going to say, you know, obviously Kenny Chandler at point guard. I'll say Vescovi also at point guard. And then you also have Zakai Ziegler, who Tennessee just signed at point guard as well. At the two-guard position, you have Victor Bailey Jr. I'll also say Vescovi fits in at the two-guard position. And maybe Justin Powell, but I, I think he's kind of more of a three. And I, I'm going to put the, the, the threes, the, the kind of small four position, more in the... I guess it makes probably more sense to lump them in here. They're not really big, so I'll lump them kind of in the backcourt. So at that three position, you have Josiah Jordan-James, who can also play the point if needed. Justin Powell, I think Javai Meshack kind of fits in as a 2-3. I'll be interested to see where he goes, but I, I think probably more as a 2, so maybe I should list him earlier. And then Quentin DeBonge also as a 3. Gene, that's not a... To me, that's a... That's a pretty decent mix of experience with Victor Baylor Jr., Josiah Jordan-James. I, I don't really want to throw Justin Powell in there. Yes, he has college experience, but it's 10 games before he got hurt. And, and Santiago Vescovi. Those are all your veteran guys in there in the backcourt. Mixed with some promising youngsters with Kenny Chandler, and I'll be interested to see, you know, does Quentin DeBonge or Jemai Meshack, how much time they can play this year. I, I count Powell as a youngster, and then also I think, you know, Zakai Ziegler is going to redshirt this year most more than likely. I think that's not a bad backcourt. Like, that, that's a backcourt to me that it, it feels like, on paper, you have your point guard with Kennedy Chandler, and that should hopefully open up things more for Tennessee's perimeter guys in those two spots with uh, Victor Bailey and Viscovi, and then also what can James and Powell do at the, th you know, at the three um, along the perimeter and interior too. I think that's a more potentially kind of a more free-flowing better offensive backcourt than Tennessee's had here uh, in the last couple of seasons, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as always, like, I think it's, it's key to just look at the quality of the pieces that you have. And I mean, I think in, yeah, you know, specifically in the backcourt, I mean, they, they, they certainly have a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things. Um, I think once you get past uh, Kennedy Chandler and Ziegler, uh, I think everybody else is just a guard. Uh, I don't think it's specific to one, two, three, any of that stuff, because, um, you know, like if you go back to when Tennessee was at its best a few years ago, um, they had, you know, Jordan Bone was a lead guard, but so was um, Lamonte Turner. And Bowden, you know, played some with that position as well. I think that's that system is predicated on multiple guys being able to bring the ball up and kind of get you into a flow. I understand that you want to have a guy especially in this day and age where you have one guy who gets has like this high usage rate and the ball is always in his hands and he gets to make all the decisions. You, you know, a lot of people may want that, but I don't think that Rick Barnes is one of the people that wants that. I think he's, he wants to have the multiple ball handlers. He wants to have multiple guys. You've got Josiah who will be able to do some of that stuff. His versatility is going to be huge for this team. Victor Bailey can do some of it. Um, I mean, you just go up and down the roster. I mean, Kennedy Chandler, uh, Victor Bailey, um, and this is just me looking at how I think it's going to go. Powell, Vescovi, uh, Josiah. Um, that looks like, yeah, that's pretty much all I would really expect because I mean, they do list Josiah as a guard. 
even at six six or seven. And, and so you have this you have a smaller type of you have a smaller type of kid in um, Kenny Chandler who's listed at six feet. You also have Josiah who's six six. You have Justin Powell who's six six as well. Obviously they play they're completely different styles and so I think that their their potential depth at that situ at that position. Uh, in that in that area to, to have multiple guys I mean there's some guys that you feel good about that have done some good things but I, I don't think there's any I don't I think there's any question that they have to be better and deeper this year there and I think that's why the, if, if you look you see you see Meshack you see Quentin um, you see Chandler um, you see Powell that's four guys that you've added to the backcourt and you lost, what, two? I mean, I understand. I mean, Devontae Gaines, I mean, he was kind of a tweener anyway, but um, you really lost the two guards. And they weren't especially deep. They played, you know, I I see four guys that they primarily played last year. Um, Bailey, the two freshmen, uh, Invesco, you can add Josiah into that too. I guess that makes although he never, he kind of played more front court. Um, so they 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 needed to get more quality depth, and they didn't have it last year. They didn't have it in the front court. They didn't have it in the back court. Uh, we're specifically talking about the back court right now. So they needed to get a couple more bodies that they felt good about there. And it sounds as though so far. They made you know they made a concerted effort to do so, and uh, they succeeded. I mean, they, they succeeded with experience and you know at least some level of college experience and Powell um, talent with uh, Kennedy Chandler. You've got Meshack, who's a talented athlete, and I think he'll be a good basketball player. You've got some potential in the, in Quentin um, and. You've got the Ziegler kid who, Lord knows what he turns into, but um, he's certainly, you know, he, he's certainly going to be the type of kid that we've talked about in the past that is going to come in and will, will certainly fight Kennedy Chandler for every minute that he gets. Um, so I think that that's what's going. I think that makes them intriguing in that regard because now they are they do have a little bit more depth there and some guys who. The book may not be out on. I understand the fans sometimes will write the book on somebody after you know three games or whatever. So there's a lot of clean slates in this backcourt, which means there's a lot of opportunities for guys to kind of come in and make a name for themselves early. But you've also got the guys like Vescovi and uh, Victor Bailey. I'll just leave with those two um, who have had good moments in a Tennessee jersey and will be expected to do so again this year. Before we move to the front court, who, in your opinion, Gene, in this group, is the X factor of the backcourt? Is it, is it as easy as saying it's Kennedy Chandler, the the five star, the point guard? Because I honestly think it is, but also I know you're you and me both are big Josiah Jordan James fans, so I'd, I, I'm kind of kind of interested to see if you say he's the X factor. Maybe it's Victor Bailey. Like, I I think you can if you don't want to go as the you know the quote unquote obvious choice of saying it's Kennedy Chandler. I, I think there are a couple of the guys you can pick as the X factor. I do think it's kind of as simple as saying Kennedy Chandler, but I can be convinced into believing it's Triple J or, or maybe somebody else. I will always go towards the versatile kids. That's just kind of my um, 
I've got some biases there, and I was not nearly the player that Josiah was, but I was the type of player that Josiah was when I played. And so I'm always going to have a bias towards the kid who can do multiple things. You know, if he, again, I said it two years ago when he was a freshman, if he is one of your better players, your team is going to be really good because he can play so many different positions. He's a better shooter than I think he's getting credit for. He can obviously guard a, no, a, a number of positions. To me, I, I don't think it's Kennedy Chandler. I think Kennedy Chandler may be um, – I think he, he could ultimately be your best player, but I, I certainly don't think that he would be your X factor because he's going to be who he is regardless. Um but if I mean Tennessee got a ton of headlines last year, they went eighteen and eight or something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what they were, but they got a ton of headlines for having two potential lottery picks. Um, but sorry, uh, but the, I, I'll always look at the other guys. Not it's not going to be your stars that win you a championship. It's not. It's never going to be simply those guys. Those guys will get the attention when you win them, but I mean, I can go up and down history and point to every single team that's won something and, and point to a guy who's not your obvious choice to be the reason why they won, and I can say that's the reason that they won. It, it is, it, in basketball, that's a, that's a tale as old as time. Um, I mean, look, we can go back as simple as Jordan. I mean, Jordan and Pippen and Rodman blah, 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 blah. But, you know, John Paxson hit a shot to win a championship. Uh, Steve Kerr hit a shot to win a championship. Those are just moments. Those are just guys who have good series, good moments. It happens in college basketball all the time. So I'll always go, go towards the guy who brings more tools to the table. And nobody on this roster brings as many tools to the table as Josiah Jordan-Jones, who I know it's really easy to forget because he spent two years in New Jersey, in Tennessee Jersey, but he was a five star too, so it's not like it's not as simple as that. He's a good player. He's a five. He was a five star prospect because of all the tools he brings. He is, you know, if he becomes the player, if this is his coming out party this year, he's the best prospect on this team because he's six six. He can guard multiple positions. He can shoot a basketball. He can run your offense. You know, he, he I mean, he can guard all five positions. He becomes as good of a prospect because I don't want to, again, I would put him in like Huntley Hatfield kind of up there in the same tier. Um, I would put those two kind of there. Like those are your two main. Uh, again, and that's no, no disrespect to a Kennedy Chandler who I think – has the potential of being a really good player in Knoxville. Um, but it's just really hard. Go up and down the NBA and find me all the six-foot guys that are just tearing it up right now. And you're going to have a hard time find, getting to a list of, of five. Uh, you know, you get past Chris Paul and it's like, uh, <laughs> Steph Curry's 6'3". Yeah. Kyrie Irving's like 6'3". Yeah, so... When you go up and down and look at some of those things, Isaiah Thomas averaged 27 a game in the league and took him three years to get a call. He still technically hasn't got a call yet. So, again, being a great basketball player right now doesn't always 
doesn't always bode well. There'll be a spot for a kid like that in the league. I mean, Jalen Brunson's not that tall, but um, but again, I, I'll just always go towards a guy like Josiah, who is who at that size can do so many things at a high level. And if he and if he consistently brings all those tools to the table at the same time, then that's the type of kid that you you really want to have. I mean, that's the type of kid that you can go a long way with because they bring all those tools and all those intangibles to the table. Hey, I get what you're saying. Like I said, I, I knew I could be talked into buying into Triple J as the X Factor. I think you might might have just sold me on it. So I, I, I'm with you. Like this might as well be the. Josiah Jordan James fan cast, as far as I'm concerned. We're both <laughs> big Josiah fans, so I I really I, I do agree with you. I think if he has his breakout year, that's going to be huge for Tennessee, and I think he he will clearly be a big time I think that'll move him up a lot of, of draft boards. Because you don't I don't he may not even go pro if he has a breakout year because he's a guy I could see staying at UT for all four years, but he is a junior. Um so I mean he has this that last year was or sophomore. I mean, don't forget. Yeah. I mean, last year counts. So true. He could. He's a, he's a COVID sophomore. He's a whatever. He's a. Yeah. He could be a like a John Fulkerson. He could be here forever. <laughs> he yeah, could be like, here no, another I, twenty I, years. Stay, but yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think he has the same sort of loyalties that like somebody right. like a folk has. Who Fulkerson, who kind of understands that this is, in essence, the end of the road for his career uh i mean like there he may find some opportunities somewhere uh, he may find some chances to play beyond but again i think that for him this is almost like the pinnacle like if he goes and plays i don't think that he'll be as respected uh no respect is not the word that is not what i mean um I don't think that his value will be as high the next level. There's some Tebow-ish type stuff mm. with Fulkerson. Um, you think they're a great college player, but you don't really know if the stuff that they do will translate at the next level. Tyler Hansbrough-ish kind of. Yeah, like, and that's fair. I think mm-hmm. to be clear, well, I mean, let's be honest. If uh, if Fulkerson can have a Tyler Hansbrough type career in the in the NBA, that's not now. Hansborough had to have a role. He had to be a goon. He had to be ready to fight at any moment. And I don't think that's focused in any way, shape, or form. But if at the end of the day he has some sort of Hansborough type professional career, that's a that's a successful career. Um, but I don't see. I wouldn't see somebody like Josiah having being that sort of person because I mean, look, Fulkerson grew up loving Tennessee. Um, so in the way that last year ended for him, which was very unfortunate, um, I could see with, you know, obviously being given the extra year, probably was a no-brainer for him to want to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I, I don't see that being the case with uh, Josiah. I could be wrong. And maybe he stays, uh, you know, maybe he stays for two more years after this year and, um and just loves it and is the the final piece of and he becomes the final cog of I guess in a sense I don't know the glory years I don't know I mean hope you you certainly hope that Tennessee's not done having the sort of run that they had in that two years with 57 wins but 
uh, he kind of is an extension of it right now because at the end of that two-year run was the five-star, you know, was the five-star prospect, uh, Josiah Jordan James. Yep. And so he's kind of a piece of that, especially as he's the only prospect left. I'm sorry, he's not, but um, there's one other kid that we haven't talked about yet in front court, but um, he was the main piece of that class. Speaking of the front court, speaking of Fulkerson and, and everybody, we'll hop right into there. Like you mentioned with kind of the back court, I think the front court's pretty interchangeable. I don't know that there's a bunch of differences between the four and five. I expect a lot of these guys, they could play the five, they could play the four. It's going to be a pretty versatile group or pretty interchangeable in terms of that position number. So I'll, I'll list off here the front court with Jonas Adu, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, John Fulkerson, Olivier Camois, Andre Tamba, and Urosh Plavjic. That is all your front court players. All those guys are at six eight or taller. Six uh, eleven for Adu, six ten for Huntley Hatfield, Fulkerson at six nine, Camwatt six eight, Tamba at six eleven, almost seven foot, I would imagine, and then Urosh at obviously seven foot uh, there as well. That group, I think that is an interesting group to me because you have one really big veteran guy that you know you're gonna as long as he's healthy that you can count on to be a, a consistent contributor in Fulkerson. And then you got a bunch of a couple of new additions, and then you got a bunch of guys who have been role players at Tennessee who can one of those guys take the next step in Kamwa or Urosh. I think it's we've talked about it before in this podcast, more than likely if I had to pick one of those two guys, it'd be Kamwa. But you have Fulkerson and then three new guys and then two guys who have been role players, bench players, who one of them is going to have to be more than just a bench player this year, or, or at least, if nothing else, be, you know, a decent contributor off the bench, or it might be time to be looking elsewhere next year when you, you have these two guys, other guys, behind, you know, that are going to still be on the team next year at your position, and then Tennessee's probably going to go sign, you know, a, another big man, and then if not, they'll take another transfer big man, I, I would imagine, too, for next year because since he's definitely looking at a few big men in this 2022 class. I think I obviously like the depth a lot more at the guard position, both you know with the the two and three, just kind of the guards in general that aren't point guards, like you were pointing out, Gene. I think that's a very deep group and a going to be a very competitive group. This front court, to me, is an interesting front court for a Rick Barnes team, uh, at least what we've seen from his, his teams at Tennessee especially. Because, like I said, if Fulkerson's healthy and kind of back more or less to what he was a couple of seasons ago, uh, from a consistency standpoint especially, then that's great. And that's, that's, that's a guy you can count on to go out and get you, you know, between 10 to 15 points a night and grab you know, five to seven, eight rebounds a, a game for you and kind of be a, a 13 and seven type of guy. That's, that's, you know, or even like a, a 12 and six, 12 and seven type of guy who you're like, okay, that's consistent. I can count on him. I know I can get from him night in, night out. He doesn't have to be your leading scorer, but he's a guy who is over-reliable for you out there. He's the veteran. He's the oldest guy probably in college basketball this season, or at least one of the oldest guys in college basketball this season who isn't a coach. But I, I, I'm intrigued by the young guys, especially with Huntley Hatfield. I wonder if he's going to start. Do you have a Cam Wall start? You know, for the starting lineup, it, it could also just be a, a very guard-heavy lineup. You could have Kenny Chandler, you could have Victor Bailey or Scobie at the two. You could have, uh, obviously, I think you know, just Jordan James will start. 
But then, do you have Justin Powell in there? Like, do you do you put in a, a Huntley Hatfield? Do you put in a Camwell? Like, who do you have in that that other spot? And then, do you put Fulkerson at the five? Like, I, I I think that to me, this front court is going to be interesting to to watch and determine because I I think it's it's a better front court than you had last year because last year's front court, I mean, it was Fulkerson and that was about it. I mean, you you didn't Pember's not. I mean, he's six ten, but he wasn't a it wouldn't count as a front court player. You had an undersized guy in EJ Nasicki who, you know, like I said, his, his playing time really fell off because he did not have a good showing in SEC play. Eve Pons was playing an undersized four role and Camwa and, and Urosh were your bench guys. And Camwa had some good games and he, he filled in nicely in a few times and Urosh had a pretty good end of the season last year. But even though this this front court has a lot of question marks, I still, at least on paper, like this front court more than I liked the front court from last year, that's for sure. I have no clue how I feel about this back court, uh, front court, because yeah. it's, I mean, you're looking at, uh, I'm looking at three freshmen who are unproven, uh, two juniors who really haven't done a ton when, you know, Akamwa's done a little, obviously done more than Yurosh. Uh, and then you have Fulkerson, who obviously we don't around, but I mean, this is this will be a sixth year. Um, you know, you look at where, if you just look at the front court pieces that Tennessee lost last year, it, that are in, it tells you a lot about the quality of player um, that they had. So, you know, we look, um, we look, and Drew Pembroke from UBC Asheville. Yeah. Um, we look, EJ Inosiki goes to Cal State Fullerton. I look, uh, you know, Devontae Gaines, regardless whether he guard or forward, is going to George Mason, which again, I think that's a good, that's a good spot for him. That's a good, a good spot in general. I think English will have an opportunity to build something there. He's yeah. already getting like four and five star players. Yeah, I was going to say, say shout out to him. He got a he pulled a four star recently. Yeah, yeah, this past week. And then I look and Corey Walker's going to South Florida, and so I'm looking at now. Look, yeah, I'll be the first to say I'll always argue that college basketball is not college football. To where we need to probably quit attaching power connotations to schools because I mean that would be think thinking that Vanderbilt should be better than Gonzaga which doesn't make the least bit of sense um, it doesn't take an awful lot to be really good I mean to be good in college basketball any level mid-major high major whatever there's perceptions that people should be better but I mean Last year, the ACC was the eighth-rated RPI conference in the country. The Southern Conference was ninth. ninth. Uh, so we should probably quit attaching some of that stuff to it because um, it doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. But so four stars go anywhere, five stars go anywhere. I'm not too concerned about that. But I look, and all these guys essentially took. Uh, I don't even know who the South Florida coach is now. Maybe Brian Gregory or maybe I, I don't know. But um, I, I don't really look at many of those situations as lateral moves. 
you know, Kim English is trying to build a program at George Mason. UNC Asheville's coach has been there. I think this is second or third year. Uh, this is new for him. Cal State Fullerton, I don't know anything about them. Um, and then, of course, you have the South Florida situation, Corey Walker. And so I, I don't – so I can't speak on how great those moves were. But from what was seen last year, none of the aforementioned names really did anything of note. So it's not just simply that maybe these kids took you know moves that were better fits for them, but it wasn't like they were productive last year in Knoxville. So you've got you've got that, and then you bring in these new pieces. Tomba, there hasn't been an awful lot that suggests that he's ready to go out there and put up numbers now. Um, Adu, congratulations, you're a five star. I also don't know. I also don't think you've ever actually played the position as being asked of you right now. Um, and, and then you have Huntley Hatfield, who probably say some of the same stuff about. Um, and I think you and maybe Mitch have some stuff that was maybe reported on uh, a blog somewhere about where he currently is right now. I, I don't know. But, huh, I mean... It certainly looks talented, but the problem is once you get past Fulkerson, there's not a single person that really inspires confidence in you. Not a single person. I mean, I understand that potential, you know, people get really excited over the word potential, but that's just that. There's also growing pains to go along with that. Uh, James Springer had growing pains last year. Keon Johnson had him last year. Josiah Jordan James had him a couple years ago. So did Visco. Um, you know, like there's going to be some growing pains for Adu and Huntley Hatfield and Tomba. Uh, heck, Olivier Combo a couple years ago had him. You know, there was a time I almost felt like he wouldn't even shoot the ball. Yep. yep. Um, and then Plastic, who maybe seems to be coming along. You know, I felt like he had a couple minutes in that uh, SEC tournament game against Bama, although he couldn't guard anybody in Bama's lineup. But he had, I thought he, or maybe it was the NCAA tournament. He had some good moments offensively, and that's really where he's his best, is offensively, scoring the basketball. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe it may be the best bet. Um I understand the fans are going to want to see Huntley Hatfield. I completely understand that. You get a kid of that talent, and he's so massive and tons of potential. I understand that that could be what you want to do, but I could easily see them wanting to go some sort of Josiah and Fulkerson because there's a little more just known there. If I recall, I don't remember Josiah starting um, the beginning of his career. Uh, I felt like and you would know more than I would, Nathaniel, on this, but I felt like one of either Keon Johnson or Jane Springer didn't start last year. Yeah, neither, uh, neither one of those guys started at the beginning of the year. Yeah, like I think, so I could easily see a situation where he goes with Josiah and focuses and goes with a smaller lineup, or maybe Josiah plays some sort of wing sort of position, focuses and plays something more of a um, stretch four sort of position, and maybe Kamor, maybe Yurosh, uh kind of moves in, you know, to the big position. I don't know. You have some, you have some options there with some bigger guys, 
you have some options there with some smaller bigs. I mean, Fulkerson is in theory a smaller big. He's, I mean, and he's yeah he's tall, but he's six nine two fifteen. Yeah. Like there's a, yeah, um, like you say, well, I mean, he's a big, but then you look, Fulker, I mean, Fulkerson could be playing a position that's technically considered a big compared to Huntley Hatfield, who is an inch and twenty pounds heavier. An inch taller and twenty pounds heavier than Fulkerson, so and like I think that's part of where the folk folklore comes with Fulkerson is the fact that at his size he does play, you know he plays that position and he goes in there and bangs and battles and blah 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 all those things that fans like. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. I mean I don't know if they necessarily they certainly got more talented. Yeah, they certainly did that. But um, Tom will tell just, I, and I do think they got better. But Tom will tell just how much better they got, and a lot of that will be determined by the the improvements that you know somebody like Kamwa or Plasic makes. Because you kind of need one of those two guys. Because personally, I don't think that a dude's going to be ready this year, and I don't think Tom is going to be ready. Um, so that takes out two of your six bigs that you're that you're talking about. That leaves you with four: Huntley, Hatfield, Fulkerson, Comwood, Plasic. Um, unless one of those two maybe takes a step forward and proves me wrong, um, then I just don't. I don't know how much better they got in terms of depth. Uh, you want eight or nine guys. I think we've listed about four or five guards that can do something. I think you've listed about three or four. I've listed, I think, four bigs in, in essence that they, that they could kind of go with. Josiah kind of fits in either category. I think you can win with that, but certainly you want to see some of those younger guys kind of grow and develop and you know kind of have their moments and I'm not sure exactly which one of those guys is going to be, but they're going to need somebody right now because it's, once you get past Fulkerson, there's five unknowns, and I don't think that's what you want to have right now. Maybe not, maybe a big transfer is kind of what you wanted, and you didn't get it, but I, I kind of feel as though at the end of the day you kind of wanted somebody that brought some sort of experience because you don't want to go into the season you're already expecting your, you know, your point guard position to be manned by a freshman, um, and then if it's not him, it's going to be, you know, maybe a transfer who has very little college experience. He was good in that experience, but he doesn't have a ton of it. Um, and then you turn your attention to the front court, and all of a sudden, you've got questions there too. Um, certainly, a ton of potential for this Tennessee team this year, backcourt front court all of it but man I just it's going to take a while for I think it's going to take a little while for it to all mesh but I also said the Tennessee was going to run away with the SEC last year and I was wrong there so I could be wrong again this on this so we'll see <laughs> before we kind of talk about the roster as a whole we'll, we'll touch a little bit on the, the coaches as well as well as I mentioned Kim English and uh, Des Oliver departed to get take head coaching jobs yeah, Rod Clark and Justin Ganey. Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of Kim English. I think he was a great assistant, but I knew he was not long for Tennessee because I knew he would be destined to get a head coaching job somewhere. Uh, and I figured Des Oliver would at some point, too. So neither of those were surprises. 
we talked about both these guys when Tennessee hired them um, back over the summer jeans. And I, I know you specifically mentioned back then that you were a big fan, on paper at least, of um, of Justin Ganey because of kind of where he came from in his background of being a guy that coached at uh, – was he the guy that coached at junior college? From, no, he coached at NC State, Elon, App State. He may have – gosh, one of these guys, Rod Clark or Ganey, one of the yeah, two. Rod Clark was, yeah, Rod Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the one that was uh, – in junior college life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, coached Austin P before he came to Tennessee. And I just saw the name Herb Sindak for <laughs> Justin Gaines looking at his profile. Who had not about that name in a minute. Um, yeah, so I, I I like both these guys. Again, it, it's a little harder to tell with assistant coaches because unless you're <laughs> Penny Hardaway and you're hiring guys who are, you know, NBA stars and, and, and whatnot and, and friggin' what's-his-face, Larry Brown, like unless you're doing that, you don't typically know the assistant coaches all that well unless you really follow college basketball. I, I, you know, I like these guys on paper and what they bring to the to the table, but it's obviously, you know, I don't want to say it's a step down from Des and, and Ken just because I we knew them better at Tennessee because we got to see them for a few years at Tennessee and know what they're like. I think we'll like, I know I think Vol fans will like Justin Ganey and Rod Clark, but this isn't really like football where you know more about the assistants in terms of like the coordinators and even sometimes with the, the the special, or not special, but like the the units, the the position coaches and whatnot, whatnot. Ganey and Clark, like you know more or less like the positions they worked with, but it's just there isn't as much information out there about assistant coaches in college hoops. So you have Ganey and Clark, and of course Michael Schwartz is returning, and he's the associate head coach now. And then Garrett Benwald uh, is still the director of men's basketball sports performance as well. So still a, a very good staff. You stuff uh, Chad Newman as the athletic trainer, Mary Carter Eggert as the Director of base Basketball Ops, Brian Lentz as the player, Director of Player Development, Kim McDonald as the Director of Student Athlete Development, and Luke uh, Shop- Shopker, I think, says his last name, but he's the video coordinator. So I think it's a good staff. We don't, I don't want to spend too much time with the coaching staff because, again, I don't think we have as much to break down here, but I, I think both have made our, our thoughts fairly well known about uh, Ganey and Clark in previous podcasts, but I, I think it's a good staff. Back with that, I think you know. Obviously, the additions, um, a lot of potential there with those additions. They've certainly paid off on the recruiting trail. Ganey with the do, um, you know. I think you know, I think well, the reason I was so high on Clark is because I mean he's just yeah, the thing, some of the same stuff I said about Ziegler in the past. I think there's just there's a there's a value to the guy who has to kind of come from the bottom, who kind of has to work for everything that they. Are getting in this profession or in this game or whatever, and I feel like Clark did that. So um, obviously everything else is kind of the same. Schwartz has obviously been a great coach there. Uh, Mendenwald, I mean, that stuff kind of takes care of itself. I mean, it speaks for itself. You see the gains and some of those guys, um, and everybody else. I mean, everything else is there. So I don't really have much to add to that. So before we move on to the Lady Balls here, um, kind of last question looking at the roster here just overall we we talked about this i want to say when uh, when we thought the final move had been made but obviously now it's the guy ziegler was added and heck that may even been before tombo was added too i think when we talked about it so two more guys have been added since then but two guys who i don't imagine will make huge contributions this year um so essentially we're kind of still basing it off the same roster more or less than when we answered this question a few months ago but gene is is this on paper a better team than last year because I say 
Yes, but again, that's on paper. And we both talked about we were both pretty wrong about a lot of things in the offseason or preseason last year for the SEC and with Tennessee in general. So it would not surprise me if either one of us are wrong about this uh, this team this year either. But I do think you have a better mix, in my opinion, of veteran and young guys and just their, their skill sets, I think, especially in that backcourt. Like I, I think that backcourt is going to be very good, and I think backcourts are the the units that kind of carry you in March, especially. You know, you don't see, for the most part, you don't see a lot of teams that are very front court reliant make deep runs. It, it happens, but it's more often than not you see teams that have really good guard play are the ones that thrive in March and April. So I'm not saying that, you know, guaranteeing Tennessee go on a deep run in March and April, but I do think this, to me, is a better overall roster than their previous season. You know, how to translate? Does that get them to... 23 wins, 24 wins, 27 wins. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I do think, again, we also talked about their schedule a few weeks ago. It's a rough schedule, so I don't know that even with the win total, you can really necessarily judge them on that. I, I will, this team, more than maybe the last couple years, um, I'll be judging more, obviously, two years ago, there wasn't a postseason, but this team more than the last couple years, I think I'll be judging more on the, their postseason play than what they did in the regular season. I think last year is very hard for everybody to really gauge just what it was because, you know, COVID was the thing. Uh, obviously, COVID struck the Tennessee program, um, and that led to a lot of issues. I mean, lack of development in certain players. You know, kind of kids were who they were. It would have been interesting to see if a Springer or if uh, a Johnson would come back because – they didn't get any of that time to really grow and develop and work on their game and stuff uh, in the offseason because all that stuff was all, you know, screwed up and messed up um, along the way uh, in the in the summer. So do I think it's a – do I think this roster is better? Um, I think if you just simply break it down, who's better, Jane Springer or Kennedy Chandler? Yeah kind of a wash it seems it seems at least uh you know who's better justin powell or keon johnson because everybody else is essentially the same i think where you're better is that who's better huntley hatfield or ponds and i think that even just the player that huntley hatfield is now is better than ponds although ponds brought something so valuable on the defensive end that you can't quite quantify. It's just the other stuff, the offensive stuff. He was so wildly inconsistent there where he gives you a 26-point game, I think, against Kansas a couple years ago. Um, but wasn't an aggressive offensive player. Never got to the free throw line. Just um, wasn't much of a threat offensively. And I think he was allowed a lot of opportunities to get some points um, because nobody really respected that part of his game. And if only Hatfield kind of grow, it becomes – a better version of Pons, then yeah, you just got better. Um, Fulkerson is still Fulkerson. And everybody else is kind of piecing it. I mean, if, you know, you turned, where it's different is you turned um, Devontae Gaines into the Quentin kid and the Meshack kid. You've turned Drew Pember into some variation of a do or what to say a do and you turned EJ Yanosiki into Han, you know to Tomba 
those sound like improvements. And I think from a from just a pure roster standpoint, they are improvements. So I would say in that regard, they are better. But it's so hard to really judge just what this Tennessee team was supposed to be this year, last year, because recruiting did not allow you to go out there and find somebody better than EJ Anosiki. Um, it did not allow for the development of some players who were going into their second year in the program and never developed really. Because that, I mean, that's basically what it was. I mean, like some of your best players, you needed those guys to develop from year one to year two. That's why you had a lot of sophomores whose games didn't really grow. That's why you saw Kentucky completely fall apart last year. They did. You didn't have, you know, some of those that some of that development. Um, I mean, like there are probably a ton of sophomores who improved their games, um, who improved from a freshman to sophomore year in the summer of 2020. I'm just not here again, but this is a Tennessee podcast and I can't think of a single one uh, that did, you know, I mean, the freshmen who were already good players, they were just out there just playing basketball. Um, the upperclassmen who were already good players, they were just out there playing basketball. That's why Gonzaga was so good. It's why Baylor, you know, Baylor was so experienced. Therefore they were really good. Um, UCLA had a lot of had some experience, and they had you know Juzang who was you know a kid who got a chance to go back home and work out at home and you know kind of became the player that he, in his mind he always was. And so like when you just look at some of those better teams, like they were built that way. Bama had a bunch of other players. I mean, like they, their freshmen had some moments. But the guys who really improved were some of those th- those guys, and so it's, it was just really hard to really figure out exactly how much better a, a Vescovi was from year one to year two, how much better Josiah Jordan James was, how much better Kama was. And I don't want to speak on the other two because they didn't play. And so, like, I, I think that this is a better roster. I do. Um, Tom will just Tom will tell exactly what they turn into, but they certainly have they certainly have the potential to be a lot better. But that's going to be judged off of what they do in March and what they do in conference season. Because I think they're going to take some. They're, 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 I think there's some growing pains ahead early on because you do have some guys who are going to be learning on the job and figure some stuff out on the job. So you build your schedule for January and February and ultimately March. You don't build it for November 15th. That team four years ago, that 2018-19 team, was really good in November and December. And they never really got better. And that's 31-win team. That's been a, a month ranked number one in the country because they were all older guys. So they didn't need – they would have been amazing last year. They may have won a championship last year. Let's just be honest. Like that's that's a discussion. You know, like that would be a discussion there. Could that team have won a championship last year? I think yes is the answer to that question because your older teams were, were who won. And your older teams didn't need to go through things together because they already had. They, they all improved – you know, they all improved their games. They were all ready-made products. It's why they all got drafted, and they're all kind of 
hanging on in the league. You know, obviously, congratulations to Admiral Schofield, who just signed a deal with the Magic. But they're all just trying, trying their best to hang on in the league. And because they were pretty much just ready-made players who weren't going to grow and improve. And um, so I, I think that, you know, if this team can figure some of that stuff out and, and take go through some of these growing pains in November and December, then come conference season, once you get into February, when Tennessee, all, you know, inevitably, I haven't, looked, I haven't really paid too much attention to their schedule, but they inevitably play... Kentucky twice, LSU, Bama, Florida, Auburn. You know, they go through that gauntlet. I'm assuming there's – I don't know, but I'm assuming that I'm right on at least five of those games, that that's five of their games in February in SEC play because SC does a good job of putting their marquee teams um, up against each other in February. So um, – so like if you're if you have a team that is figuring some stuff out, a Pumpley Hatfield, maybe one of those two bigs, Adu or Tomba, is kind of developed to kind of give uh, what's his face focus in some time on the bench where he's not having to go bang because you need somebody to go in there. Focus can't play forty minutes. You need somebody to go in there and provide a big body. They don't really have to do an awful lot. But you need them to at least be able to spell him for a few minutes, and I'm not sure they have that yet. Uh, but if they do, and that's and they can figure that out in November and December and January, uh, by the time you play Texas in January, if you figure something out by then, then that's going to be a team that's going to be tough to beat. Um, come come February and March. Real quickly here before we move on to Lady Vols, I will I will run through really quickly the. The teams in February that Tennessee plays in the SEC: Texas A&M, at South Carolina, at Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, at Arkansas, at Missouri, Auburn. That's it. That ends at March first is Georgia. So yeah, Auburn, Arkansas, Kentucky, Vandy or uh, teams Tennessee plays. You know, obviously Vandy. Uh, that should be win, but those are you know the quote unquote some of the rivals. I don't Arkansas not a rival, but yeah, that's still a good team. So that's a good game. Yeah, yeah. That's still some good games there. And Missouri, you know, you have a I'll be I don't know how good Conzo's team's gonna be this year, but that'll be <laughs> that'll be interesting still. At, at that's a game Tennessee should win, but at at Missouri and February twenty second, that'll be interesting. But yeah, that those are that's some quality opponents in the month of February, especially the la- latter half there, because uh, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Auburn are all in the last half of of the month, so uh, gearing up for you know March of the SEC tournament. So, yeah, that that's a, a good point there by you too. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Again, the second episode or second half of this episode, excuse me, will come out on Thursday, September twenty third. So, if you want to hear our breakdown, a similar breakdown of the Lady Vols roster, please make sure to catch that episode. It'll come out a day after this one is out. But without further ado, I'll go ahead and sign off here and say thank you for so much for listening to this episode. If you want to find us uh, again, if this is your first time, uh, then you can subscribe to us everywhere podcasts are found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever where you can find podcasts. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. 
Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 